Welcome to B2B Weekly. Every Wednesday, Marty Sanchez and I, Nemanja Živković, will be your host in a weekly Q&A where we talk all B2B related things. From sales, demand generation, social media, personal branding, lead generation, we focus on real examples, on real case studies, and we share things we only share with our team. So you get to see the way we grow our companies, the way we do marketing for our clients, you get to see everything. And not only that, you get a chance to jump on the call with us, ask questions live and share your perspective on the topic. If you are an executive, marketeer or salesperson, this is for you. Welcome to the B2B Weekly. Hey, hey. Hey, Nemanja, can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Ah, cool, cool, cool. Awesome. New laptop I was trying to, to connect. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. The headphones. Oh, we have Elvis in the house. Welcome. So you got a new laptop, Nemanja? Yep. It was it was about time. It was about time. <laughs> <laughs> so I finally joined. <laughs> it was some time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How are you, Elvis? Oh, great! Like the weather, it's rainy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. here, here is being like uh, rain, sun, rain, sun, like. In every two hours, it changes. Yeah, I'm in Barcelona right now, and the weather is fucking amazing these days. It's yeah. so sunny. <laughs> I'm actually looking for startup jobs in Barcelona at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you should, man. The weather is incredible. We're starting to open up things. So, like, we can go get a drink in, in bars with, with our friends, stuff like that. After this call, I'm going to go play basketball for a while. So, like... Life is good in Spain these days. In Bosnia, since uh, yeah. 10, 15, 15 days ago, um, I mean, bars are starting to open again. Yeah. I was yesterday for the first time after two months in a bar, and I felt like a wild animal, animal just left out the civilization. <laughs> <laughs> like, how do they behave in a bar again? <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, but I'm sure there are some jobs here in, in Barcelona for startups. They're just hard to find. Like people in Spain like don't don't share too much for for the jobs available. It's hard to find um, job no, opportunities in, here. I've been in contact with with a couple of fintechs in in okay. Spain. Uh, I've been in Berlin for four years as head of growth for for a German fintech. I mean, it's just one of the possibilities I'm playing around with at the moment. I'm still a freelancer. It's pretty good. Right. I mean, it, it was good before COVID, but then I had to cancel <laughs> my in-house consulting gigs, <laughs> which sucks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but I, mean, I would like to go, I wouldn't like to go back to Germany oh, yeah. for four years. Yeah. yeah. But let's see. Uh, uh, Germany let's see. is nice, but I've been a few times and I like it, but it's not my thing. You know, like it's very different than Spain or Italy or, or Portugal. Like yeah, it Port- very differently. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Berlin is, is quite nice if you, if you are 20. Yeah. But for, for people with family, it's not really the, the perfect spot. It's, it's hard to find a pediatrician or, or a kindergarten spot. Right. So if, if, if you have small children and you're moving to Berlin, you need to growth hack everything. Like literally, yeah. literally I, I made an outreach campaign for kindergarten spots where I called like 200 of them until I got that. <laughs> yeah, uh, Portugal can be a good place, man. Portugal, 
has been growing with with startups, especially in like Lisbon and stuff like that. I, I was mm-hmm. talking to uh, to a couple of guys over there. It's, it's pretty cheap, cost per living. Yeah. Uh, so a, a lot of people have moved over there to like grow their their business and their startups. Estonia as well. Estonia as well, because because they have this. Uh, they have this advantage, right? Like you get nationality, or they're yeah. you're allowed to live there for a while. You're e citizenship. Right. You can actually apply for it online. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. You can found a company in Estonia, but you are still um, fiscally bound to the laws of your country. So if you have an office in uh, Spain, but the company is registered in in Estonia, you still have to pay taxes in Spain. Mm. because the majority of the business is in, in Spain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's yeah. interesting Est- now. Eston- Estonia is okay. You are not uh, really growing a business. It's okay for the for businesses up to mid-size right. because of the taxes and everything. And it's okay if you're not working with the US, only with Europe. Right. Yeah, I was yeah. looking at... Uh, uh, that that's right. Like right? there's certain cities that help you grow the business so much faster. And my idea is to go to New York in August or September, just because of that. Because like you can grow the business so quicker if you're like near where the money is than yeah, if you're yeah. far away. Two things you you have to be pretty close uh, to is money and the talent pool. Exactly. I mean, Berlin is great for it, especially if you if you are starting in fintech or or uh, retail tech, um, because investments are huge. The talent yeah. pool is rising, but it's not a great spot to live in your mid thirties. Right. I mean, honestly, that was my problem with Berlin. They they have a culture of heavy drinking. Which which would be fun in in the twenties, but right. not later on. I mean, you, the peer pressure obliges you to stay after hours for a couple of beer uh, with the colleagues, and a couple of beer is uh, never enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I get it. And the other city that I was thinking, just because I've always been um, interested, and I don't know if you guys have been there, is Moscow. I've been thinking about going there for a couple of months. I don't know if you guys have been or like, what's your experience um, with business there? I've never been there. I mean, I don't have any experience with, with Russia. I all. don't either. I don't either. I, I was <laughs> wondering how it, how, have you been in Manya? Yeah. I have just like my friends were there as a basketball coaches, nothing else <laughs> because they, they respect <laughs> us. And yeah, that's, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I might, I might head over there one day or not. Probably next year. But uh, it, it seems interesting to me. I, I don't know how good it is for business or not. But so uh, go ahead. Go ahead. On the, business on the one side, there there are a couple of cities in Europe where where you can start pretty decent business and uh, have a pretty decent uh, approach to the talent pool, mm-hmm. but. I mean, you have to live in those cities, so right. <laughs> you have to find. I don't know. I I I've never been to Barcelona, right? But, but my wife has been there for a couple of days, and she loved the city. And I can Im- imagine that it would be nice for the family. It's a good place to grow a family for sure. Yeah. But right now, with with COVID nineteen and all that, I, I think it's going to change how we see cities, right? Because it's like you said you need to be close to where the money is and talent pool. But right now talent pool is going to be global money. Everybody's doing business over zoom. So like now it's more of a, like, is this a good place to live versus is it a good place to grow a business? There's also the, 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 the other point when, when founding a company, you are having a, I call it geo equity, like a, a decent amount of, of trust based on the country or the location where you found 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 a business. Right. For me for me in Sarajevo right now, if I founded a company, a startup in Sarajevo, I would have a, a, a huge hurdle to pass just to prove that the company is trustworthy to, to invest in it. Right. Yeah, I mean, I mean in Serbia it's it's a bit different because I'm working a lot now with with startups because uh, working with uh, 
impact hub they have like pre-acceleration program and working a lot with uh, with ventures and investors and basically few companies are um, like making a bridge between startups from Serbia and Balkans, Western Balkans overall, and uh, companies and investors from the big markets. Right. And it's, it's growing. So it's still few, only few uh, companies that are doing the job and few startups that are really breaking through, especially like gaming industry. Uh, but uh, but it's it's growing, and I can see more and more people getting involved in knowing like the language. That was a problem for me when uh, when I was looking to hire somebody, you know, because people have no clue about the terminology connected to the to the startups, to the investments, venture, SaaS. That's like a huge <laughs> headache. Uh, yeah. I, I have a friend from Belgrade who founded a startup in Belgrade. I think it was around 10 years ago. Um, it was a software company and uh, they had a decent growth numbers, but they were looking for investors. So one guy called them up. He would like to invest in their business and they scheduled a meeting. So he wanted to invest like 2 million euros into them. And they had a meeting and middle of the meeting, the guy asked him, so when are you paying back the money to me? <laughs> it was a loan shock. It was, <laughs> it was about to give them two million euros. <laughs> when are you paying back the money, or I'll break your legs? <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> the guy was okay. Here, here, two hundred euro for for your time. We will not sign the papers. <laughs> we don't need your money. <laughs> That's fine. Man. When we are talking about about different countries in Europe and. And, and businesses and one of the topics that we wanted to discuss today is uh, communication channel I mean maybe we can start with uh, with uh, talk about which communication channel are working like Spain in Germany in, in Bosnia in Western Balkans overall and like start the talk uh, with, with yeah man go uh, go ahead uh, with, with Serbia and all that and then we can jump in it. Yeah, I mean, uh, what I found interesting that here in Serbia, the, the main channel, of course, is like Facebook. Mm -hmm. And when when you compare it to the to the US market, like Facebook is not the first channel when people are going. Right. Uh, also, Instagram. Now it's all dependent. It's only on the age. I guess that's that's the same everywhere because here, like the the main. Um, People who are uh, the, the main users of Facebook active users are like women 45 plus years because they're just now discovering the, the channel. But I can see that it also translates to, to Instagram. And uh, when it comes to younger generation, of course, like TikTok, uh, Snapchat, oh, no. never really, never really <laughs> uh, started to... Uh, be profitable here when it comes to to the business twitter is still like for activism nobody really uses it in politics maybe news nobody really uses it for 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 business i mean uh, but, but, but linkedin what, yeah linkedin is big which is using instagram quite heavily yeah <laughs> yeah to me it's interesting how like we can see I think TikTok, what it did is like created a new segment. The first was an Instagram, but didn't relate to Instagram because that 13 to 16, 17 segment, Instagram was well, too old for them. Like well, they had the older brothers and, yeah, yeah. and they needed a new thing for them. And then that, that like opened the frame on the younger side, which, which is interesting. In Spain, we had... Um, because of the politics that we had, uh, I don't know if you guys are aware, but like Catalonia and Spain yeah. wanting to like break apart and all that. Twitter became a big um, communication channel for a lot of Catalan people to communicate and, and revolutionize as well. And then Telegram uh, also as a social messaging app uh, and text messaging became huge because it's like the most 
secure one versus WhatsApp. Uh, and the, they opened up a huge market of Telegram in, Sp in Catalonia specifically, of people creating groups and, and just talking about strategies in politics to like separate from Spain. That was the value proposition Snapchat has grown with. Uh, basically, uh, secure communication, which is uh, only available for, for a specific time. Telegram uh, with the with the uh, um, encryption algorithm and yeah. with the data security is providing a huge USP among different clusters. So, I, I have a few people who are not really the the the, the, the straightest businessmen who <laughs> <laughs> communicate only over over Telegram. Yeah, uh, most of my develop de developer friends use only Telegram. And anyone who, who thinks, uh, who, who finds their own privacy important, goes over Telegram instead of doing WhatsApp, which is in ownership of Facebook, and you know that the data is being used, yeah. or, or Viber, for which you don't know what the fuck they are doing. Right. <laughs> yeah, but for example, TikTok, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it comes from like a Chinese company. So like we also don't know how secure that is. TikTok and is absolutely insecure right i mean basically uh there, there's there, there are multiple stories if you have followed them for for the past couple couple of weeks uh, there, there was this censorship story mm -hmm. where this guy who is looking like uh g sipping uh, the chinese uh, president yeah at his uh, tiktok tiktok uh, channel banned because yeah. he looks like the president then there was this uh, suicide case where TikTok first informed their PR department and then the police three hours later, a guy oh, killed shit. himself live on TikTok. I didn't know that. Then there's uh, the promotion of um, teens which are sexualized. So, yeah, yeah, so that. Uh, I mean, TikTok is for me, I mean, I, I don't have many ideals, <laughs> but. Yeah. TikTok is really against anything I, I, I believe in. Yeah, but I think people talk about how important privacy is and then they do the complete opposite, right? Like people were talking about this shit and then they do that. They know that Facebook like is listening and keeps your data. They do the same thing. I don't know if you guys remember, but like I think it was early in the year, which now feels like forever ago because of everything that's happening between. But like there was this app that would... Uh, you would upload a picture of yourself and it would make you look older. Yeah. And, and it was from a Chinese company that was doing facial recognition all the time. Right. So like people do these things and then um, there, talk about privacy there, and do complete opposite. There, there was also the, the 10 year ch 10 years challenge from Facebook. Or yeah. That, that one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Where, where they actually uh, did uh, training for their facial recognition software. Yeah. They, they were pushing those 10-year challenge posts everywhere. And it was just artificially created virality. Yeah. yeah <laughs> just so you can upload the picture and then they get the facial recognition. It just... But to me, at the end of the day, we know these people are doing this. So, like, if we accept that, it's a problem of the people. Yeah. So don't try what they're doing with my data if I, if I give them right. just in order to, to, to feed my vanity. <laughs> right like you can't complain if you are okay and and do a 10-year challenge you know um to, to me that that it's very hypocritical I, and i want to hear your thoughts on this Nemanja. but if, if you say one thing and because everybody does the other thing you also do it then you cannot complain about them stealing your privacy yeah well i look at the politics in that way also so we are in the middle of uh of the political campaigns. Mm. Uh, like I need a, he mentioned politics. I'm going to grab a beer. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I mean uh, when I look at from the from uh, companies from business perspective uh, the right the right thing it comes to the is like we should mute Alex. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I'm back. No, no it's okay. Uh, from the business perspective, what I see is a combination of 
uh, offline and online events. I don't know, Marty, if you thought about it, but like uh, it's crucial for me when it comes to reporting content and talking about about those things is uh, having two sides of uh, creating content and own channels. First one is uh, the offline events. Let's say for me, what works is not like trade shows and huge events, but small events organized by by myself or having a guest or guests uh, <laughs> and talking uh, about specific, specific topics with like 15, 20, up to maybe 30 people the most and recording those things and the same online like if it's a webinar or it's something like uh, this uh, q a weekly and yeah. then using, using that content for different uh for different communication channels just to distribute it the right way i mean like the long version for youtube the the shorter version for like facebook instagram LinkedIn up to 10 minutes, or maybe also another thing that we're doing also is um, visualizing just audio segment for that. Like yep. you can use your imagination. There are so many options. Yeah, I think offline events, in, maybe not in the next three months, but in the next year, two years, are still going to continue to be important. Maybe not at the scale of like, uh, trade conferences uh, or industry conferences where there's a thousand people, two thousand people, but those events of like 10, 50 people. Um, I don't understand why more, not more CEOs and more companies are starting them themselves, right? Because they're not that expensive to create. Uh, and when you cut the middleman, right? Like if you have your own event, you can organize it the way you want it and invite the people that you want, uh, touch on the things that you want to touch. And make sure that you're adding value to to who your audience is. Uh, for example, I one of my goals in the next five years is to do a bit more of public speaking, right? Like in person. So, like one of the things that I was thinking is like instead of waiting to be invited, why don't I organize my own event? Right? Invite three, four people that I can also speak, put myself because it's my event on the panel, and then invite the audience and make them myself, right? I think. Now we have to cut the middleman both online and offline. And maybe if that means doing it in India because they're going to look more favorable to me because I'm the foreigner versus doing it in New York at the beginning, that's fine. Like you go to India, you organize it. And then you, after you have a proven track record, you go to New York, you go to LA, you go to San Francisco and do them. Why go anywhere? The question is, why go anywhere right now? I mean, there, there's a massive unused potential in a format which worked for ages, uh, expert roundups, where you can create, invite SEO experts right. for, for a video conference like we're having right now and discuss five points which have been already communicated to them. Yeah. So, or one point that everyone shares their opinion, like how important are backlinks right now? Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's an internal topic. Record it, transcribe it. Create um, content from there. I, I think you can do both. I think you can do, like, I, I think that there's, a, there's something about physical events that online events will never have, right? Like, I, I've been running my business from Barcelona with American clients for two years, and it's grown, and it's been a good business, and I've built good relationships. But like I've never shaken the hand of my clients. And I think when you shake your hand and see each other in the eye, like get a beer together and go out or whatever, like that you build a stronger relationship. So I think you, you can do both 100%. You, you can do the webinar type of thing or you can do the uh, physical event. And as long as you're repurposing both content, I think it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, you're right. Uh, personal meeting is... is uh much beneficial the, the the benefit of doing it online of doing it uh, especially now during covid yeah or after covid even yeah, when, yeah. when people have the warm in their mind that uh, meetings are not really beneficial for your health is that you are spreading your uh, you're, you're spreading your reach much further yeah, yeah. Even, i've been organizing in 2018 four days a week uh, 
in our webinar space in Contest, mm -hmm. a, a, a seminar. We had multiple speakers. We had always 20 to 50 people in-house. Yeah. But it, it didn't deliver the, the results, you know? Right. You, you, you get people who come for the free beer to, to learn something, but it doesn't uh, transfer into word of mouth. It doesn't transfer into lead, lead generation. It doesn't transfer towards the bottom line. We, we got the awareness that we are doing something for education, which later became the contest Stiftung, contest, uh, how do you call it, contest organization for support of freelancers. Mm -hmm. but, but I haven't seen the, the additional value of those meetings with potential customers on a small scale for so much organization. We did it for, for almost six months, four days a week. Wow. We spent, we spent a shitload of money on beer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if I uh, if I look at it, the the biggest value that I get from from those things are people who really want to maybe to learn more, so get involved in uh, small workshops or trainings like advanced stuff, uh, or I get clients in uh, I don't know six months to a year later. Right. Right now, I have few people who are my partners or my clients that all have listened to me. Uh, when I was uh, hosting speeches or speak, uh, I was speaking at the conferences offline. Right. So uh, when I moved to Novi Sad, my idea was to get to know people, cities and everything. So I get involved with the local uh, co-working uh, community and I uh, went to do speeches in like six or seven cities around, uh, around Vojvodina. So uh, when I then get in uh, touch with people on LinkedIn, most of them were listening to me somewhere. Right. And uh, some of them were doing that just because they liked the topic. Some of them were doing it because they were looking to find somebody to partner up later. Or some of them were just going to an event, of course. But uh, the, what you can do is you can record the, the event yeah you record event and it's not the same as you are recording right now because right. you can feel the atmosphere you can see two people sitting uh, talking you can hear the, the the questions in a different way it's it's totally different it's like the same if you are doing uh, reviews or recommendations mm -hmm. totally different if I'm now recording you with a with a camera or if we are sitting together and somebody else is, is recording the conversation and the client is uh, giving their perspective of our uh, relation and giving the results and everything. So the results are coming from the client's mouth. Totally different. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think it goes back to what we're saying, right? There's something different about personal, even if you record it later, then uh, online cannot get, but then again, for example, it's much cheaper, right? Online, I, I've been running my podcast. We have 25 episodes now. And like, we've, we've done all of them via Zoom. And it's been great, right? Like, it, it, there's no cost of cameramans or there's cost later on the repurposing, right? But there's no cost up front of, of getting the people here on, on the podcast or travels or hotels or whatever that is. And, and for myself, the podcast has been the greatest networking excuse ever. I like uh, on Friday, I don't know if it was Friday or Thursday last week, but at 11, 10 PM, I met this guy called Eric from, for the podcast that runs Hulk media. I think doing $75 million a year, right? Out of LA, uh, Miami, New York. Like this guy doesn't have 30 minutes to spend with me who runs a, a small business. But he will do it for a podcast episode, right? Or two hours later, I was meeting this guy called Dennis who runs uh, artificial intelligence scheduling software, right? Like to help with uh, meetups, scheduling through artificial intelligence. They've raised like $50 million, 
same thing, right? Like you tell them that you have a podcast and that you'd love to interview them. And now everybody loves to, to jump in it. And from there you build that relationship plus you get the content. Uh, so for, I think content as a networking is been your process, process for repurposing content going. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, like getting really tactical, we, we record it via zoom. We take the video, we have a background that we cre have created for, for the podcast. Uh, so we, it just plug, plug and play. We put the video on YouTube full after we edit the intro and outro and anything in the middle that has to. Uh, same thing with the audio. We upload it to Anchor. Then Anchor uploads it automatically to um, yeah. Spotify, Apple, all that. And then I have somebody on my team uh, watch the episode and look for the best highlights that we and mark the time, right? Like minute 1.30 to 3.30. Uh, he marks the, the highlights all across the podcast. We send it to the video editor. The video editor uh, makes the highlights. Then we send it to the ghostwriter. The ghostwriter will create the LinkedIn posts that are written and the captions for the video highlights. Um, then they send it to me to review to make sure everything's right. And we put the clips on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. We put the ghostwriting on Twitter and LinkedIn and Quora. We're starting to use Quora a bit more now. And then we really? also want to optimize on, on YouTube. So we clap longer clips that are like five minutes, six minutes, seven minutes and cover specific topic and also upload them on YouTube uh, on a different day just to like build more a, a content backlog on YouTube. Um, and that, that's mostly it. I, I think we, we touch on all channels. Uh, we are something that eventually we want to get to is create articles from the podcast as well, but I don't know much about SEO. So like we have that kind of on pause and <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was thinking about that. And so like that, that's one of the things that we want to figure out, right? Like how to utilize the, the episodes to build the SEO and, but other than that, that's, that's how it works. And then from the other side standpoint, in terms of networking, we have a process to follow up with the guests to keep that relationship growing over time, right? Because uh, no, it's not enough with a 30-minute podcast. We have like a month check-in, three-month check-in, six-month check-in, and we never sell. We just try to build that relationship. Do you, how do you start or lead the preparation stage for the podcast? Because I feel uh, this talk right now is quite organic. I mean, we, we don't have any agenda. We, we don't have any topic. It's just flowing into from topic to topic. But I see a huge unused potential if you're spending time and effort uh, that you could basically over address, uh, check what type of topics in what industry is grabbing the most attention, gets the most social signals, and try to lead the discussion in a, we, that we, we do that we do that so before like if the podcast is 30 minutes we usually spend like an hour doing research on the industry and and the guests themselves because the goal for my podcast is to get like really personal uh, not just touch on like business stuff but like we touch on like things like mental health and um, leadership like stuff that we don't usually see that much uh, and, and we do like big research on them to make sure like the podcast actually covers uh like we we don't want to jump from topic to topic we we want to make sure that and we send them the questions 48 hours before the episode um but yeah we we have the research part covered in, in terms of like our process i forgot to mention what goes before right like who we select we select mostly like uh, our my target audience as a company is b2b ceos running companies between like two to two to five million dollars so we found that a good niche for that is people that made it to the Inc. 5000 list. And so we kind of scrape the Inc. 5000, see what people think are interesting, and we go from there. But honestly, everybody says yes to a podcast. It, like the, the acceptance rate uh, is, is huge. Like I have 150 guests in my mind. They can join from... Uh, from wherever in the world and they only need to uh, to have like 
an hour for that to talk about themselves, basically. Right. Everybody loves to talk about themselves, you know, like, uh, so especially CEOs, like CEOs are like, yeah, let me, let me talk about, if you want 30 minutes, I'll talk 30 minutes. You want three hours, I'll talk three hours. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, yeah, what's, go ahead. what's good for the, for the YouTube? I don't know if people know that. I guess they do. Uh, but how YouTube works is that they are measuring the number of minutes that people spend watching. So mm -hmm. not like the Facebook, when they get the, the engagement, the, the likes, reactions, those kind of things, but they measure the, the time people spend watching the videos. That's why uh, long videos are, are great for, for LinkedIn and also optimization. I mean, this, as you are doing it on a website, you also need to do it on the on the YouTube. Uh, I was also lazy uh, regarding that, but I mean, I started to improve. Uh, basically, what you can do for the website that I'm doing, uh, it got me like in two months, uh, I, I reached like 500 plus people on the website regularly. Uh, just by distributing uh, videos uh, from YouTube on, on the website and then through the through the email list. Right. It's it's an article where short article when I'm saying like uh, I had uh, recorded a conversation with like Marty and Elvis. Marty is uh, CEO of uh, Podium Influence, like Elvis. Yeah, yeah doing these kind of things. Uh, they gave great insights on this, this, and these topics. You can, and then you link your name with your LinkedIn, your company's name, your website, mm -hmm. and embed uh, a video from, from YouTube. That's it, like simple, simple thing, nothing that complicated. And then in the email, you maybe want to get more into, give a few more details because your list and you want to give them more value to specify what are those things that they will get and basically that's it it goes in in circles and it brings uh, and brings traffic on, on your email list do you link them to your youtube or to the, to the website with the embedded video the website to the website right that makes sense yeah, yeah. Uh, do you use uh, content aggregators for distribution for example for, for b2b topics uh, a great aggregator would be hacker news basically Y Combinator news. Um, any topic which is related to marketing, to data science, to development, if it's done well as a podcast or as a video, uh, can be pretty, can get so many eyes on Hacker News right now that it's just a lost potential. So, so do you submit it there or how, how does the process work? Is uh, basically you just create an account which is pretty simple, username and password, okay, and su and submit it as a post. Uh, extraction oh. based on uploads. So if you get like five or ten uploads, which you can get from your from your friend circle, you just ask people from different IP addresses to find the post and upload it. You will be on the on the homepage for, for a specific time. Um, a couple of years back, I've, I've been trying to find a method to use Reddit and Hacker News to, to generate traffic uh, predictably. Mm -hmm. Because every time you work with uploads, you you depend a lot on people's opinion and right. state of mind. And so I managed to get 350,000 visitors to a fresh website in the first three months wow. uh, and 200 organic backlinks to the same website with 15 blog posts um, over Reddit and Hacker News. Wow, because so, Reddit, I think it's underrated as a platform. Like I've been thinking about how interesting that platform is and all the communities that it has and how like most beautiful, I never use it. Right? Like I, I know about it, but I've never used it. And I realize most marketers haven't used it either. I wrote a couple of blog posts on how to hack Reddit. Oh, really? And yeah, yeah. yeah. It, I, I'll read them after. Uh, I need to find them. They used to be on inbound.org, which doesn't exist anymore. Oh, gotcha. and, uh, I think HubSpot uh, has reused the content. 
So it should be available somewhere. Basically, you have to have uh, multiple multiple accounts, preferably a VPN. Five accounts would be enough just to get the initial boost. You need to investigate the, the, the community in which you want to post to understand the lingo, the topics. You can check which topics had the most engagement in the past year. Mm-hmm. Pick from those. Um, basically, it's uh, 10x content. You take existing content, which performed pretty well, work on it, add additional value, promote it. I mean, uh, I had a project about uh, Google Ara Project Ara, which was the modular smart- smartphone. Mm. So I took verbatim topics which have already been done and which already had thousands upvotes on Reddit, just added a couple of new informations, like 200, 300 words more, posted them from my own blog and got the same or better traction than the original post. Interesting. The problem with Reddit traffic is the ad blocker. So if you're trying to monetize with AdSense, you will have 80% of people who don't see see your ads. Right. If you're trying to generate leads in a specific industry, it works pretty well. I had in the first three months like 150 people who signed up for a pre-order list for the smartphone, which never came out. Right. So, but it's a heavily underutilized uh, channel for for any company which is doing B2C marketing. Sure. Uh, and Nemanja, I wanted to ask you. You talk about like the the minutes. Uh, YouTube like counting the like the minute video, right? Um, how, what's the shortest that you post over there? So like I was thinking about like so I put the long piece, right? That's 30, 40 minutes. And then I usually try to put like two or three that are between like seven, eight minutes. Do, do you think that's still a good number and not too short? I mean, um I also, I'm also thinking about uh, uploading some short videos. I, I have short videos, but like up to 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. That I, was, I was doing in like March or April last year, I was doing a, a challenge like uh, 60 videos in 60 days. Gotcha. LinkedIn. And I uploaded all of them like Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube. Mm-hmm. So they are over there, but if... Uh, I don't promote it, they are not getting much of attraction. But if it's a longer video, it, uh, the YouTube's algorithm starting to, to work uh, and it can get something organically. Right, because the, the, way I, the, the way I thought about this, is like I watch some sports shows, right? And there's a couple of sports shows in America that what they do is, um, they put like, like same thing, they put out the podcast and then like, inner stories from the podcast that they put them out right like for, for example the podcast all the smoke by two former nba players i love that show uh so like if lebron james talks about his childhood then they put the seven minute clip of lebron james talking about high school uh, high school whatever whatever and, and it seems to work really well for them yeah because like people don't want some people don't want to see the whole 60 minute. They, they want to see like, like part shows, right? Yeah, um, I'm usually that person when it comes to like ESPN shows uh, in the middle of the game, after the game, but I am the one who likes to, to see what's, uh, what's interesting for me within those like half an hour or hour of the show. Right. So when it comes to all the smoke, I'm the guy who watches the whole show. So it's all- right. No, I, I watch the whole show, but sometimes I'm like, oh, I might just want to watch this one clip, right? Um, so yeah, I think that works for, for also causes companies like, as well. Uh, because it, it all depends who runs the show and uh, who leads it, what are the guests. Like I'm seeing even now in Serbian uh, newspaper or like... Uh, some sport portals they are using those clips like six seven three minutes clip they're using it to write an article you know right. they don't they don't link to it of course but yeah. they are using it. i can see because i watch like this time with bradley bill yeah uh, i saw I, it too i saw it too. I, I know what he was saying and then i see the article in uh on serbian sport portal. I mean, 
Yeah, I, I, I watched the episode yesterday, I think. There is a great book which, which explains this quite well from uh, Ryan Holiday. Uh, trust me, I'm lying. So basically, one, one of the read thought, thoughts of the whole book was uh, journalists are lazy. <laughs> so they, they will take any prepared story because they, they have deadlines, they, they need to find something interesting. So he was playing with, with this one attribute of journalism that journalists are lazy. Um, there, there's one, one of the anecdotes, and uh, it plays so well with, with what Nemanja is saying, uh, a, a short clip is made in the, in the news story. So, uh, Ryan Holiday was supposed to promote a movie. And uh, what did he do? He ordered billboards, in uh, Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and in the night he went and cut his own billboards and wrote, uh, "This chauvinistic pig deserves to go to jail," <laughs> like uh, sabotage the movie and stuff like that. Took pictures of those billboards and gave an anonymous report to small and medium-sized blogs or news stations, uh-huh. like someone has vandalized the billboards for this or this movie. So what happened? The, the small and medium blogs had all of them picked up the story, published it. The larger one became aware that there is a story trending. Right. Picked it up for the, for the smaller ones. The movie he was promoting was sold out for weeks <laughs> because of that, of that stunt. So same applies to, to content which is distributed over Reddit. Journalists are sitting on Reddit and checking what is the the top shit. Sorry for for language no, on Reddit no. right now to write about. So that that's how that's how I got those uh, two hundred organic backlinks. Because I mean, even a Japanese tech website picked up my blog post, uh, paraphrased it, and linked back to it. Crazy. Because they are too lazy to investigate themselves, uh, and that's that's a huge thing you you can abuse in marketing. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Like journalists are lazy, but marketers and content marketers are lazy too, right? Like, they, like uh, there are very few people creating and advancing the conversation. Right? Like every, everything is regurgitated. And, and I, you, you see them on writing articles. You, you, you go to Google and you're like looking for whatever topic. Article one, two, and three, and four are basically saying the same thing, just in different words. Like it was the writer who was like, okay, let me see what the guy who's number one wrote and rewrite the same thing so that it sounds kind of similar. Uh, but the magic, the magic in content marketing really happens when, when you go the extra mile. Exactly. I remember uh, a, a couple of years ago, I was wo- working for Ahrefs uh, as a professional, uh, I mean, as an expert blogger. So <laughs> I had this uh, one topic, which is introducing uh, the top, 20 SEO experts for anyone who is above the uh, beginner stage. Right. Which means people, when, when you're already in SEO, people from whom you can learn further. Because Neil Patel, Ren Fish, Brian Dean, they are all covering the basics. But if you need in-depth knowledge, you right. have to dig deep. So I think it took me around 60 hours to prepare the content piece, of which 30 was uh, research, mm-hmm. 20 was writing, 10 was editing. Editing, yeah. I didn't mention Neil Patel. I didn't mention Brian Dean. Or did I? I don't know. I didn't mention Ren Fishkin. So the, those three big names I left, left out on purpose. Ignore them. Exactly. I asked all the other ones whom I mentioned. I, wrote, uh, I sent them an email with the paragraph in which they are mentioned, ask them if they would like to add something. The blog post is being published in seven days, etc. If you would like to, if you can just post it in your social media channels. When it was posted, when it was published, it had around 1,200 shares in the first 24 hours. Wow. And around 300 comments, of which around 100, 150 were, where's New Patel? <laughs> well, like, New Patel is not here. He's not going to yeah. be here. <laughs> and there, there was a huge argument in the, in the comment section, like, 
this guy is definitely just introducing people for, for the advanced marketeers, New Patel is for the basics. And you created a, a, a moment where the content was selling itself, it was just, it was just promoting itself. I, I love that. I, I, I think another way that, because let's be honest, not everyone has enough knowledge to move the conversation forward. Right? Like, uh, it's just the way it is. Maybe we're doing, uh, for example, myself, I think the content that I put out is really valuable, but it's probably not groundbreaking. Like, it's probably not going to change the way the best marketers perceive the world. Right? I, I, I don't expect it to, because they're not even my target audience. The uh, CEOs are my target audience. But like, what, one way that I think content marketers can, can separate themselves and not just regurgitate over and over the same thing is injecting their own personality and personal story to the mix, right? Because, and we were talking about this last week, but <laughs> nobody can copy your personal story or your personality or your, um, or you opening up and sharing more about yourself than what other marketers do, right? Uh, so I think that's one way that differentiates good content from great content because it, it makes that relationship much more personal and relatable with the audience. And that doesn't mean you have to just say stories and fluff, but a good mix of personal and value, I think it makes, makes the story much more compelling. There's also this point where we're, I'm sorry, never, I'm just saying this. Um, many marketeers, many professionals who, who go into the public eye with their own name, with their own face, are afraid to polarize. They're afraid right. to, to take a stance and if you don't polarize, you you don't get people to resonate with you. Right. I mean, the the death of a startup is not that people or any business is not that people hate it, but they, that they don't care at all about it. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, if you're in, sorry, go ahead, Nemanja. Uh, I, I don't know. Do you see what's what's working in uh, on LinkedIn? Let's say now in in our like B2B space. Uh, is the people who are talking straight out of their minds and because they are doing that they are uh, using the words of other people who don't have the courage to speak up and it gets it gets them traction yes yeah. and it gives them followers and everything else because uh, from what I'm seeing when it comes to content now we have here Elvis so I want to tackle from the other side and he can maybe uh, go from from this side, like when I started working with, with B2B companies, all of them had blogs and all of them had uh, content, which is, which is great, uh, but it's uh, not content that is meant for distribution. It's the content which is created for, for search engines. And all of them had, had a large amount of visitors but uh, in rare cases, those visitors are exactly their uh, ideal clients. Right. Most of those people are uh, people who are just interested in the in the topic, but are not the ones who can provide. I mean, is B two B. So uh, most of the companies are chasing like enterprises or similar companies, and uh, it's not the way in which like. Uh, executives are reading articles right but if you if you what uh, i have seen over there that it's a great possibility to use those articles for redistribution so uh you can use some parts of them and redistribute it through the visuals some of them you can use uh as a, i don't know as, as a copy some of them you can use just to create smaller articles or maybe case studies that can go like documents on LinkedIn or you can promote them via Facebook ads uh, just for people to consume it. And if, if we get them to like less than three minutes uh, that it takes for a person to read it, it's great. It will be consumable and it can change the whole, the whole structure of the website and of the visitors. That's, that's what I'm seeing right now as I'm getting into the second or the third month uh, as I'm doing that. Yeah, uh, so I'm not an SEO expert, so Elvis, <laughs> feel free to correct me. Uh, but a, a few, thoughts, few thoughts on this. One, I think you can do both, right? I think good writers can write SEO optimized content 
that is also enjoyable to read and, and that provides value to the audience and the right audience. I, I think if you're um, paying 10 bucks for a thousand words to a writer who has never written on the subject, then you're going to get maybe SEO optimized articles, but they're, they're going to be trash. Like the, the reading experience is going to be horrible. Uh, so investing in good writers, I think makes a whole difference because they understand the SEO part and the consumer and they can find a good balance and where to sacrifice. Uh, and then what you said, right? Like um, SEO is one play, but at the same time, you need to be creating content on LinkedIn, Twitter, social media um, at the same time. Like they amplify each other, right? So use content from one place, put it on the other place and vice versa, but don't just rely on, and that's one of the things that I'm missing myself. So obviously if you have some thoughts, feel free. Like I create a lot of content on LinkedIn, which is great because like it gets immediate views, but it feels like it, it disappears, right? Like at, at the end of the day, four days later, it's not getting any more views. So like- but you, you can repost it. There, there's no rule which says, I can't take a content piece which worked pretty well on, on LinkedIn and post it again. That, that's what, what, what uh, social media marketing fails in that respect that they think that every content piece has to be unique. It doesn't right. have to be. I mean, the, the algorithms are as they are. You will never reach with a content piece, not even 100% of your own followers, right. not to mention 100% of the available audience. But if you see a, a content piece is working well, copy paste it after 15 days. No one remembers it. I do that with some sales copy posts, but like more content is not the problem. Like I, I can put out more content. It just, I wish, because like I, like I have myself and my team and we have the podcast, like we have a problem on LinkedIn of like, we need to create other accounts to publish all the content that we have. Like th that's not that much a problem. It's, that LinkedIn post is really good. And sure, I could republish, but then I would stop from republishing another one that I think is really good as well. So like, how can I utilize that LinkedIn post I published two months ago and, and create it into SEO that is, it's there, like it's an asset for the future? Not the same message applies in all channels. Right. I mean, uh, you can take, for example, my post from yesterday, I, mean, I don't know if you saw it, with 80% uh, of people who follow me on LinkedIn never network at all. I haven't seen that I, one. Uh, like, it, it got huge traction immediately. I, I think I got around 2,000 views already on it, which is, mm -hmm. for me, quite big. But it's not something I would use as a topic for a blog post. Right. Because, especially not for an SEO blog post, I can't figure out what's anything, anything meaningful in a, in a means of growing a business. Maybe in relationships, yeah. yeah. You have to think about the, the, the top level with SEO. What's the search query? What's the motivation I want to address with the SEO content? So in my opinion, it has been shown in multiple projects before, uh, B2B SEO content is a high awareness stage, right. awareness stage segment where you try to get the first eyes on your company. What you can do, uh, you can segment people based on their website engagement. So if someone is looking for specific industry specific uh, help, helps and guidelines, you can create a custom audience on Facebook. Mm -hmm. and distribute more content from the same uh, segment to those people. Distribute a checklist, distribute a, a white paper to, to get those leads in. Right. But in the top of the funnel, you have this SEO content piece, which addresses specific issues from a specific industry. Uh, we, I had projects which draw 50,000, 60,000 visitors a day, but the, the, the user motivation was all over the place. So you couldn't deliver a product which addresses their needs because you didn't understand the needs. Right. On the other, on the flip side, there is also um, money keyword content for, for landing pages, for lead generation pages, where you have to, to invest a horrendous amount of work to have it ranking. 
Right. I mean, with with, uh, with uh, blog posts, you you just go for the long tail potential, and over time, if it's well optimized, you will get traffic on it. But if you're, for example, offering credits or mortgages or, or whatever, then you have a landing page for that money keyword. There's a shitload of work in in um, backlink creation, in the link juice scoping, in just to get it on the first page of Google, if you ever get it there. So right. makes sense. And uh, also, <laughs> are uh, forgetting is that uh, distributing content the right way, so organically and through the ads, using different communication channel, using a website uh, as a foundation, will also get you to rank well on some things. Uh, even though if you are not specifically <laughs> backlinks. I mean, social media in SEO world, they don't uh, mention it that often as, a, as a something that, uh, that amplifies the SEO, but it works because you distribute it to a lot of people and then they distribute it further and it, it goes. You don't know where the links are going to get. Also, one of the things that links that we talked about uh, in the beginning of today's Q&A is uh, offline events. Let's see, today, if you want to get a good PR or media for, uh, to see your event, to talk about your company, uh, your competitors to talk about your company, you create an event when you invite all of them. <laughs> and if they are on your event, they don't have a choice but to talk about your event and you. Because if you are doing just outreach for the media and asking them to like put a piece about, I don't know, the event that you organize and those kind of things, they won't put the links in because each of them are just copying from one portal to another and then you don't use uh, backlinks. So what you can do is you can get the word out because your competitors are going to talk about you, your uh, media are going to talk about you and also like can go further by where you create relationships with certain journalists that are covering the certain niche or industry and so on and so on but that's also one mean of distributing content and uh, going to uh, to be uh, let's say searchable also the, the, uh, for one I don't have really I, I can't really fully agree that offline events are, are a great way to create backlinks because the, unless you have a great email copy where you ask those people directly to promote it on their website, they will never write an article on their website and give you a do-follow uh, backlink. Um, but on the other hand, you're right. There, there, there's, a, there's a huge gap in, in content distribution, which, which is underutilized. People, what, what people do mostly is, they publish content and wait. Like Field of Dreams, if you build it, they will come. Yeah, uh, 14, 14 employees distributed with their friends. Yeah, that's Exactly. And that doesn't happen. Uh, building relationships with bloggers, building relationships with journalists, building relationships with anyone who, who can deliver you the, the, the backlink from an uh, authoritative website is uh, huge part of it invite those people for a dinner for a beer just meet them if you're in the same city it works um, also people tend to forget that their content can be in multiple places without any penalty you know so basically you write a blog post you invest a shitload of time in it, it, it it's great you you get also great comments on it what do you do you you leave it on your website you just have to have a Twitter handle. You can create a Medium account. Copy paste the article after two weeks after it was indexed on the blog to Medium. Copy paste it on LinkedIn. Post. You have two more outlets for your content. Yeah. I mean, that's massive potential, which is just wasted for most B2B companies. Yeah. That's something that we do for our clients. So, like when we write their articles, uh, so that they post it on their blog, we also repurpose it. To medium we create a twitter thread linking back to the article uh, we create a short story for quora as well uh, that can be standalone or link back to the article 
so like uh, we created an article on a post on LinkedIn. So like anything that you can do to get the most value out of the so much effort and time and money that you've spent into creating a good article, it's worth it. You're getting the most value, juice out of your oranges in that case. I think Brian Dean said it five years ago, uh, content marketing is 80-20. So basically 20% of the time is content creation, 80% distribution if you want to be successful. And distribution, I mean, I, I've been working in a uh, German-speaking German area now for the past five, six years. Content marketing in a German-speaking area is pain the ass. So there are no content aggregators. There are, there are no networks where you can tap in and connect with people and get the content distribution. In the English-speaking area, there's everything available for, for distribution. And unless you build a network, to distribute the content, unless you have a CRM and understand who your promoters are in social media, mm -hmm. who the people are who are mostly engaged, who, who are the ones who you have to tag on LinkedIn, who will find it interesting. Right. They, it just doesn't work. Yeah. And then you get breadcrumbs. For sure. Uh, I don't know if there's anything else, guys, that you want to touch. I'll have to run soon enough, but we, we can wrap this up around here. Uh, does, that, does that work with you guys? So many topics, yeah. Marty. You can you can wrap it up with a with a with an end sentence. <laughs> with an end sentence, that's so much pressure. <laughs> anyway, uh, we'll see you guys next. Uh, what is it? Wednesday, 6 p.m. European time, 12 p.m. Eastern. And uh, I appreciate you guys. Thanks, always for being here. Thank you, Nemanja, and talk to you soon. Bye bye. 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 Appreciate it.